0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 7th, 2020. I am John Podhorts, the editor of Commentary with me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Noah wants me to remind you that we need you to do something for us. We give you all this free content. Please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. If you do that, we move up in the store. People who don't see us can see us and will be advised to uh, subscribe to us or listen to us, and we can get more listeners, and then you can have more people, and you can say that, you know, you were there, uh, that's so 2019. I was listening to the commentary podcast so long ago that, uh, you know... Uh, it's not even cool anymore because now you're listening like that. If you could do that for us, that would be really nice. iTunes Store, but as Rich Lowry says, if you can't leave a five star review, please forget I said anything. So I am I am literally asking you to give us an A. That's you know it's like going to a teacher asking for an A. But you know what? What skin is it off your nose? Give us an A. Give us five stars, really. Because, you know, that's, that's, I'm asking as nicely as I know how, which gives you a sense of maybe how how nice I am, because I don't think this is that nice an ask, actually, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Great, great
1: inflation is I'm really I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not in the best mood. I'm really not in the best mood because I, I just don't like the news that I'm seeing. I mean, it's like I, you turn around and every piece of news is depressing uh, from a certain, from a certain standpoint. Um, Biden, you know, I said something wrong the other day. I said, you know, look, Biden's doing all these executive orders. Clinton did them. Uh, Clinton, you know, voided all of George H.W. Bush's executive orders. I'm wrong. I was wrong about this. Biden has now is apparently uh, on the verge of issuing like 20 executive orders of his first week. Nobody, not Trump, not Obama, not Bush, not Clinton, not nobody has ever done anything remotely like this before. So I was mistaken about this. And it just shows how um, what Democrats are going to do and how they're going to behave in this period is they're going to say, we have to do X, Y, and Z because Trump violated all these norms and broke all the norms. And we have to restore proper order. And then they're just going to break more norms. They're just going to break them in their own Way and they're going to innovate the breaking of norms so Trump will have broken all these kind of social behavioral norms and they are going to break all kinds of policy procedural norms and as a result we will have no norms left except my father so what are yeah, we to do the, the
2: administration so- is, the administration is bragging about their number one status as um, uh, you know uh, executive order. Issuers, they're, they're they This is a great source of pride to them.
1: And, I mean, and you know, the there, po- there was a history with Biden in particular during the Obama years. That, that the the Obama years did set a kind of precedent for for in terms of governance. You know, we often complain because the Democrats are always reminding the Republicans that they are the party of governance. But they were doing runarounds of the of procedural uh, governance norms uh, way back when. Certainly, in, at Department of Education with Title IX related stuff, you saw a lot of letters written and not regular rules making procedures followed. And I think we're going to see a ton of that coming out of the agencies as time goes on too.
0: So what we have here is a is a version. Of, what really happened is not that Obama violated the norms at the beginning of the administration by issuing executive orders, but as Christine said about. Playing games with regulations, and then after Republicans took over the House, and after you know uh, they worked actively to stymie and impede Obama's legislative agenda, that is when he said, "Okay, I've had enough. Um, I'm not happy with how the democratic process here has worked to uh, retard my ambition. So I have a pen and a phone, and we can't wait." Uh Yet you can wait. You're supposed to wait. That's what the legislative process is about. And we have an electoral result in the United States in 2020 that was as a recipe for gridlock by the work of the American people that we have, that Democrats are celebrating en masse because of the wondrous turnout and the 81 million votes that, uh, that Biden got and all of that. Well, in those votes, there were also votes at the state level and at the at the you know in the, for in the Senate and and at the you know at the district level in the House uh, that have existed to retard the ambitions of the Democrats. Abe, you were the twin. When Abe wants to talk, we look at each other on a screen here. And when Abe wants to talk, he's holding a pen and he waggles the pen.
2: I do waggle the pen. That's how
0: I, I know that he wants.
2: To, I'm not I'm not good at interrupting with my voice. I always you know I don't I can't time it. He has a pen and a phone. Is um, one yeah. um, <laughs> The twin propositions of uh, the Biden candidacy were uh, one that he would steer us out of the pandemic with um, a serious science based policy that he would, um, you know, oversee uh, like a like a captain of a ship um, and that he would return us to a state of normalcy. Uh, Given that he has said there is no changing the trajectory of the pandemic and given his um, flurry of John, as you as you indicate, um, totally norm breaking uh, executive orders. Um, it seems he's not on the best start to uh, making good on those propositions.
0: So, uh, okay, fine. So let's go to the pandemic. So uh, after a week of um, games playing, uh, where they, you know, said, "Oh my God, we have no plan. They've left us with no plan. It's so terrible. Everyone's going to have to wear five masks and you know live in a bunker until twenty twenty seven, and it's all Trump's fault." Suddenly it occurred to Biden yesterday that he could just, like, write a check, right? He could go to Pfizer and Moderna and say, uh, we'll double our order for doses if you can manufacture them, and uh, and voila, uh, he's solved the pandemic, uh, which uh, raises two interesting questions. Number one, uh, why did anybody think of this before? Uh, this is a sign of what happened in the last weeks of the Trump administration, when Trump's um, you know self obsession and, uh, and 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 uh, you know insane effort to overturn the results of the election totally dominated every thought process of the of the Trump administration. So that rather than going out on a high note, like saying you know what the vi- vi- we need more doses, we're going to buy more doses, he didn't do anything and sat there like a psychotic, and so now, you know, he basically handed this to Biden. It's just not clear why it took Biden a week to get there. Not that a week really matters, in uh, you know, in, in political terms, but um, that's a pretty substantial thing, right? I mean, so basically the idea is there will be enough vaccine to... Uh, Get to herd immunity by by Memorial Day or something like that, which is great news, assuming that they don't screw it up, uh, which they could.
1: Well, they're they're already at they're already uh, kind of big, you can see the path forward where they're going to be at cross the Democratic Party and Biden administration are going to be at cross purposes with some of their interest groups, and it's that's we're playing it's playing out as we mentioned yesterday it's playing out right now with the teachers unions but they're going to be as you start looking the amount at the amounts of money that are being proposed for the next covid relief bill you can already see constituencies lining up and holding whatever power they have and whatever they're supposed to be doing hostage so that they get their their you know chunk of change in that in that bill pretty typical uh thing for interest groups to do on both sides of the aisle but in this case. You have a new constituency rising, and we were all chatting about this on our group chat yesterday, that the Biden administration is sort of behind the curve and noticing because it doesn't seem to be online enough. But a lot of parents and a lot of liberal parents have had it with the fact that schools aren't opening and there aren't any plans for opening while teachers are getting vaccinated. We're hearing all this good news about the pandemic, that the entrenched interest groups are not budging. And the Biden administration's response so far has been to play along with the interest groups. And Ron claimed well, not the Biden. The White House chief of staff, the chief of White House chief of staff Ron Klain went on. He went on TV and he said, "You know, they need more money. They need more PPE. It's not yet safe." He he did the whole union, basically the union bullet list of uh, PR points. He repeated them, and that has people angry. And it's an interesting coalition of people who are angry. And it's not. It it seems to me that the Biden administration has completely misunderstood the developing situation with regard to parents' feelings about schools and the teachers' unions. Uh,
0: Noah, um, when, when Ron Klain came out and, and basically said, yes, you know, the schools don't have enough ventilation and they need more this and they need more that this came out on the same day that the CDC issued a report saying all the, all the evidence that we have says that schools are not a transmission point. Um, for the virus, period, and uh, you then have places like the Chicago Teachers Union and the Fairfax County uh, outside Washington D.C. Teachers Union saying they will not go back to work until children are vaccinated. But the but these vaccines are not approved for use in 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 Americans under the age of sixteen, and for good reason, which is that they don't get the disease they do not get the disease. We don't entirely understand why they don't get the disease, but they don't get the disease. And if the, if the demand is going to be that the science that we're all supposed to love so much needs to be politically tweaked to hand these teachers unions that are clearly doing this in total bad faith and are using, are just upping the ante every moment to get to a point at which schooling their presence in schools becomes optional forever they can teach at home or they can teach in a school depending on what they want to do um that uh ron clane is now siding with them against the science i thought he loved science i thought we love science What happened to loving science?
3: No, they don't, they know all this. The teachers know all this. The administration knows all this. They know that they're, these are unreasonable asks designed specifically to be unreasonable. And so that they can preserve this, you know, pandemic emergency situation in perpetuity. Everybody knows this and they're all just playing a game and they have a a gun to your child's head. They're holding them hostage and um, nobody seems to care. I mean, the parents do, they're being driven slowly crazy uh, and you are seeing some of these expressions of absolute madness beginning to percolate up from town hall meetings and from, you know, students, uh, organizations, parent organizations, school board um, recalls, people are trying to recall their school yeah, And they're acting within the system, but the system is failing at this point. The system is flawed. Um, it's allowing this kind of hostage taking um, this kind of absolute madness, nihilistic madness uh, and um, acting within the system, waiting for the 2022 midterms maybe to kind of have some kind of incohate expression, throw the bums out across the board. That's, you know, the normal expression of but political in, anxiety. No, but normal Chicago, expressions of political anxiety have not worked and are not working. And what's going to happen is a continuing descent into madness, the consequences of which I genuinely fear. In Chicago, the
0: teachers were ordered back to work. And they are refusing to go back to work. I'll tell you a story from me. They are refusing to go Mabel. back. No, but let, hold on, hold on, hold on. They're refusing to go back to work. What is the remedy? They're not on strike.
3: There is no, well, they are strike. kind of, I can't talk to, about Chicago, but in, in my nearby district yeah. in, in Maplewood, schools opened up, supposed to open up on January 20th, interestingly enough. And, um, the teachers there are kind of having a strike by not going to work, but they're also not teaching online. Um, They're, they're completely shutting down the educational experience because it's not safe. It's just not safe. Um, And there, there's so much political, um, a willingness to give this new administration some rope because there was, they're so traumatized from the Trump administration that they're allowing all this. They're willing to allow this to happen. Maybe as some sort of an expression of catharsis, you know, or, or just allow, giving, that, giving the new administration this new political paradigm some, some space to develop. But whatever Wait, it is,
0: the they they're comfortable do? with it. Wait, who's the they? The parents. I don't know if that's the case. Look, it's not a strike. Strikes are a very...
3: Strikes I mean I know some of these I'm, labor I'm actions yeah but labor cool actions here, but I know some involved. of these liberal very liberal parents who do this sort of thing mm-hmm. and they rationalize themselves into why it's it's all okay it's not okay they don't love it but they'll rationalize themselves into why it makes sense
0: strikes generally take place when contracts end and there is a period at the end of a contract when, uh, generally speaking, people would continue to work until the formation of the new contract and instead, in order to put pressure on the employer, people go out and refuse to come back into the workplace until, the, until a deal is made. They are therefore not in breach of contract because there is no contract. Right now, the Chicago school system, which is the third largest in the country, has teachers who are refusing to go into work when they have been told to go to work. The contract exists. They are being paid. No one has been laid off. Nothing. They are not going into work. That is not a strike. I don't
1: even know what you call it. You call it a fireable offense. You started, should call it. it? Right. I mean, Well, so right. we, we've talked, I mean, We've talked a bit about, you know, uh, methods to respond to this. Because their teachers are not a federalized workforce, the federal government actually doesn't have very much any power here. Like they can't, they can't pull a Reagan and fire all the air traffic controllers. But what they can, what legislators can do, and some are doing, there's a few in Virginia who've already proposed this kind of legislation, is start passing laws that say if you don't show up in person to do your job as a teacher, you don't get a paycheck. Or make, you know, you can, you can make all kinds of variations on these laws, but these legislatures who actually have the power of the purse with these school districts, um, and the school boards should start looking into, into responding to this, because you're right that the old union contract renegotiation we might strike threats is a, is of a different order, because at least here in D.C., teachers are doing their jobs, quote unquote, virtually, but the consistency of how they do those jobs is is crazy. Like some are really working hard, others aren't even showing up, but they can claim they're working. Um, yeah, I
3: don't know why this doesn't constitute a wildcat strike.
1: Right. I mean, in a, well, in a so sense, it, it is. is. It's a, it's a work I mean, stoppage.
0: And NLRB
3: should treat it as that. Right. It's a work stoppage.
0: It is a, you know, yeah. Uh, and so the point about the D.C. teachers or a lot of places where this is the case is that um, there is a collusive deal between the authorities and the teachers. That right. deal is no longer present, for example, in Chicago where the mayor has said you we got to go back to school and we're going to reopen the restaurants and we're going to do x y and z and the teachers are like no no we're not going to go in instead what we're going to do is release videos on twitter of dances about sa- safety i mean if you haven't seen this thing maybe noah we can um uh i still want to do a parody we can version put a link to it in the we me. can put a link to it in the uh our, our very sparse show notes in our very sparse <laughs> show notes uh, this just um, a jaw-dropping um, interpretive dance by three different teachers in the uh, Chicago Teachers Union, um, uh, basically um, uh, creating an aesthetic uh, bodily expression of the, their need for safety. It's atrocious,
3: um, by the way. It's terrible dancing. Aside from being there's, atrocious, there's no movement, is, there's no rhythm, yeah. it's like stretching. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> Anyway,
0: it is a. It is, this an is what it is an astonishing display, and it is. By the way, I mean, the thing about the Paco strike in the '81, where Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, was there was a national security element to that. Like we, th- right. they, they they could first of all, they were not allowed to strike on 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 federal. I mean, federal law does not permit uh, such strikes. But, of course, uh, in previous times, nobody would have dared do that to a union. But there was a national security component, which is that basically planes can fly. So this was an act of extortion. Uh, we could not allow the airspace in the United States to be uh, handled like this. And they were they were fired en masse. So...
1: Can I... Um, Can I just say one thing? Just because uh, we were all laughing uproariously about the Chicago teachers dancing video, is that the slogan that they use at the end is the sort of dramatic fade out is "safe return or no return," which of course is a very is is an obvious threat. But I was struck by how you know for a long time conservatives have been talking about the culture of safetyism, often involving free speech rights and whatnot. But you can see the ways in which a lot of the discussion now about safety has become complete, not beyond politicized, kind of weaponized in a way that's allowing, making it very difficult, I think, for certainly for like the liberal-minded parents in Maplewood, New Jersey, who who kind of support teachers and don't think unions are all that bad. It, It really does close a window for them to even discuss their needs, right? Because what you're doing, and we've discussed this in the pandemic context, you're threatening teachers' lives if you want to talk about reopening schools. The safety rhetoric shuts down conversation rather than opening it up to understanding risk.
3: And we keep hearing about how, and it's not unfair, how there are so many good teachers who have a genuine fear and concern for the long-term psychological effects of closure, and they're very frustrated by these conditions, and they want schools to open up, they want to open up safely, but they want them to open up yesterday, and they really are, you know, good-hearted people. So speak up, exactly. Stop hiding behind your union for a fear of reprimand. Quit. Get fired go to the press. You'll have an obligation now. You can well, stop this. They're
0: also competing forms of safety, right? I mean, we are seeing, uh, you know, people say this and it's true. I mean, aside from the psychological havoc that's being wreaked on American school, school age children who are, uh, having no, uh, proper social experiences and, uh, uh, and are you know finding it difficult to learn and all of that, and are going to be retarded in their educational advancement? Um, you add all this up, and their emotional, their emotional and mental safety is at risk. I mean, so now we're now we're training uh, a and couple also, million teachers versus seventy five million school children. and guess who should win yeah. well, under there's... those conditions? Because any teacher can quit and go get another go, you know, can go work for DoorDash if they can't abide the conditions under which they work. And no 10-year-old can do
2: anything.
1: Well, there's also some long-term stuff that we're beginning to... to, that that a lot of us worried about uh, at the beginning of shutdown that we are definitely seeing uh, come to fruition, unfortunately. The longer we keep schools closed and we keep this rhetoric going... The more you're going to see opportunists in the in the school system uh, who want to see equity, social justice type, critical race theory things embraced, continue to use the pandemic as an excuse to, to do those things. So in D.C., we just had an admissions only public high school announce, oh, you know, we're not going to use our admissions test this year because it wouldn't be fair because of covid. I, I will put money on the table today to say that test is going to have a hard time coming back. And that is the sole anchor for the reason this school is as excellent as it is. But there are there's a whole group of social justice types who want to see all those tests eliminated at these schools, these public admissions-only public high schools in New York, Chicago, uh, California, and here in D.C. This is their foot in the door, and they are not going to let go of that opportunity. That's going to continue. It's another reason to get these schools back on secure footing as functioning institutions. We've been okay. talking
3: about the achievement gap forever, and how educational reformers want to narrow the achievement gap, and they usually use racial terms, but it's more socioeconomic. Um, nevertheless, you know there is a gap, and serious reformers want to close it. Um, but those reformers have been replaced by people who no longer want to narrow the gap; they want to eliminate achievement.
2: Well, this is. That is oh, I'll go ahead. Well, but this is you know we talk about the 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 urge for uh, it, it, among such people um, for leveling, right? This is a great leveling event if no one is if no one is getting uh, uh, an, an education there's no gap if 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 no if no, and especially if no one's measuring the results
0: well in in the sense that every generation needs to learn the lessons that the uh, other generation learned to their sorrow and horror um this of course is the lesson of socialism over the 20th century which is that it is not that it leads to the rising of all boats, it leads to the sinking of all boats. And so that everybody is poor uh, in a socialist system, in a capitalist system that is functioning well, you have inequality of result. Um, And uh, that, if you think that that is by definition wrong, though I don't, but you, but it's a
3: moral argument really, or whether you think that the there's always social business. strata, even in socialist societies. There's social strata. The difference between a, a, a functional market society and a socialist society is those strata are permeable. They well, they're
0: not only permeable, but it's also a question of what it is you value in an odd way. Um, you are making, uh, you know, uh, material goods the sole the sole determinant of where of of people's lives livelihoods and 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 the value of their existence and you know this is one of the great complicating factors of living in late capitalism is the the conservative critiques of late capitalism say that we overvalue material goods and that we we we, we somehow we we admire people who are rich for no reason other than they're rich and that this is not a way a good society functions and i agree with that in a, in a moral frame, but we are now in a position where we have essentially a kind of growing uh, consensus on the liberal to left side of the ledger that, uh, that achievement itself is an injustice Uh, that, um, uh, that we are not, if we are, if we, if we live in a society that rewards people who, have somehow been blessed by God with with gifts we don't reward them like that we 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 husband them and we try to get them into good positions so that what they can do can be a benefit to society as a whole we are doing an injustice to people who have got who don't have such gifts and that we should therefore basically put a shackle on the you know, put a shackle around the ankle of, of, of the gifted who can, who can, whose gifts can be a force multiplier for society in order for them to end up running at the same speed as the people who, who don't. And that's where the leveling comes in and why we are heading for a very dark, place because of course no one can live like that really that's i think what 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 Noah is saying so in the end you know there there of course is stratification and there are it's just that it ends up being who has the power who sucks up more to authority um you know and who then basically just structures everything to get their faction or their bunch of people uh the reins of power and tries to screw everybody else and with these thoughts in mind I want once again to commend to you the work of the Bonson Group, uh, the, two point, the the financial management services firm, Bicoastal, managing $2.6 billion in assets, 27 professionals who bring and combine an understanding of fiscal policy, conservative philosophy, the philosophy of government, and the behavior of our politicians into a thorough understanding of where the markets are and how you need to behave in them. Now more than ever, we're today going to see the Biden administration issuing more executive orders on climate change and energy, which of course are going to have uh, a massive effect on the energy sector. And as David Bonson said in his excellent newsletter yesterday, the DC today.com, one of the two produced by the Bonson group, the other being the weekly dividend Cafe.com, uh, this is going to be a boon to energy manufacturers uh because it's going to raise it's going to raise uh oil prices um because we're going to limit supply uh since we're going to ban uh, oil exploration on federal lands and there's going to be a run up uh, if you so you know basically if you own stock and oil companies you're probably in good shape if you're a consumer if you're a person who has to buy <laughs> oil at the pump Uh, you're going to be screwed. So that's the kind of analysis that you can get from the daily changes in policy in Washington from the Bonson Group, from the DCToday.com, from DividendCafe.com. Please go there. Go subscribe to those newsletters. Get them in your box. Consider whether or not you have uh, the resources that might be husbanded and managed and uh, made more valuable by the Bonson Group, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, run by David Bonson, the Bonson Group, dctoday.com, dividendcafe.com. And as always, we thank them for sponsoring the Commentary Magazine podcast. We were just talking about race and leveling and all that, and we all watched as Susan Rice, the uh, domestic policy advisor, is that her title? I think she's the, having been the national security advisor. of the Domestic Policy Council. The head of the Domestic Policy Council. Having been the national security advisor, Uh, came out and announced uh, the many ways in which uh, Joe Biden was going to combat systemic racism. And I was fascinated by this because as she was giving her little briefing, she kept saying, many economists say that systemic racism costs us $16 trillion a year. And if we just reorient things, our society will be just so much more profitable and i was thinking you know this many economists' standard that's fantastic like you know many economists say that all regulations should be ended cuz they do libertarian economists say we should not have federal regulations that they they end up that that good regulations would be would would arise naturally from from uh, the good associations of people who are doing things based on their their own interests um i i'd love to Let's use that standard. Many people say many things. That's a that's a Trumpism, by the way. So many people are saying that Frederick Douglass is being recognized more and more. So so great. So we can we can go with that. But um, Christine, uh, this is a bugbear of yours, and it's going to be a very important one as we go on. This difference between equity and equality that has that basically dates back to um, a euphemism used in the 1980s, as I recall. Uh, There was a policy being uh, elucidated in the 1980s called comparable worth, which was uh, basically about gender. And it was this idea that because the professions that women were in uh, or dominated by women generated less income uh, to the people who worked in them than the professions that men dominated, uh, that uh, there was a social interest in using government basically to level the salary structures by 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 creating something called comparable worth, uh, by saying, look, if a nurse makes 72 cents on every dollar that a doctor makes, doctors should make 88 cents and nurses should make 82 cents and that would be fairer. And comp worth became a bad term, like it was very, ne- pulled badly and all this, and then suddenly the term shifted to pay equity. Pay equity became the term, like oh, because that sounds better. It's like, well, that should be, people should be paid fairly, and there should be pay equity, even though it was exactly the same policy. And now, that word, the use of the word equity has now gone global, as far as I can tell, and is now used in all ways and all terms to describe how to make things fair and it's it's this is not just semantics can you go into it
1: no it's very and the comparable worth example is a is a perfect one for showing uh, the danger that the language itself can can cause when it shifts to become about equity most people and in fact the biden administration is deliberately using these terms interchangeably for this reason most people hear equity and think it's the same thing as equality it is not just like most people here pay equity and they think that's the same thing as as you know equal opportunity and not getting, getting paid, you know, the same as the man for the, if you have the same qualifications and background and experience. It's not. So what, what the equity versus equality thing is really about. And there was this weird, creepy cartoon video that Kamala Harris released right before the election that really only conservatives paid attention to. And in, in fact, we were mocked for, for being kind of alarmed by it. But it's this like sunshiny cartoon about how we're going to bring everybody to the same level. And it's so wonderful. We all watched that and said, "This is horrifying because it's what we were talking about." It's Harrison Bergeron. It's the level of bringing people down rather than raising everybody up. But it's it's been cast in this way to trigger everybody's very good American uh, respect for and the idea of equality of opportunity. That's something Americans are fiercely proud of and should be. It's it's been in trying to you know people have fought for that right over, since the founding of this country, and it's a good thing. But equality of opportunity does not ever yield equality of outcomes, because as you say, we all have different talents and needs and wants. What the Biden administration wants to do, and it's using race as the stalking horse now, whereas I think the feminists of the earlier decades used gender, is to say until we have equal outcomes in a lot of these fields, we our starting assumption is that racism is the cause. So we're going to go area by area, and anytime there are equal, unequal outcomes. Our starting assumption is it's it's caused by racism. And we have to fix that. So with comparable worth, what that meant is government government panels were going to be convened to assess the actual worthiness of individual professions. Is a garbage, as a as a garbage man more valuable than a than a cleaning woman? Well, let's decide. Let's look at how they. It, it's it's a level of federal intrusion and state intrusion into into individual choice that should be appalling to most Americans, but it is couched in extremely warm and fuzzy terms. So anytime you hear the word equity, stop and look at what they really want to do.
2: So, you know, something I said to just to go back yet again to my um, uh, PCS, this is a revolution. I said, part of what makes everything we're seeing on the left um, a revolution this time um, is um, is not necessarily that there, were, there was violence in the streets, um, but that uh, the... That people in institutions, um, the the institutional and leadership embrace of these concepts and terms um, has has been kind of total, um, and we see this now in the in the Biden administration talking purely in, ter- in terms of equity. The, they said um, n- nothing, as as far as I can recall, yesterday about equality, um, and the same goes, by the way, for. The the complete replacement of um, the idea of justice with social justice—they're not the same thing. But that is—you will only ever hear about social justice now from our representatives and from from government officials and 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 from institutions. That sounds like my music. Yep. There you go. Please.
3: Actually, Abe, I want I want you to elaborate on. Something. I have a blog that's going up today later. That illustrates this in practice: the equity versus equality thing. Um, and I'm shamelessly ripping you off, Abe. Um, so I'm going to allow you to to take it. I'll give you a link, of course, but uh, you can take credit for it. Um, so behind Susan Rice yesterday when she was delivering this, um, you know, speech. Behind um, Susan
0: Rice was was Kamala Harris standing beside behind Susan Rice.
3: No, was, she, she dad, really really
0: Kamala Harris is <laughs> standing behind everybody in every podium. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we, I, I wanted to get this, and it just popped into my head, and I keep missing it. What is going on with Kamala Harris standing behind Joe Biden? This is weird. This is getting weird. It's like are they just are they are they signaling that he's going to retire and make her president so that we get from like at one we're, point we're being, yesterday
3: he said I referring to his administration and stopped himself and apologized had to apologize yeah because what he actually meant was we it's yeah. the we administration.
0: I mean, the, the easiest way to look at this is to say that um, they are, they are, they are, they are, have a deliberate, hard strategy of putting Kamala Harris front and center because they are trying to send a message to African American voters and female voters and Indian American, whatever, um, that, that, uh, that she is the face of the administration as well as he, and that they think this is going to be politically and, uh, you know, 2022 advantageous to them. Um, Uh, it is still bizarre. Like uh, this co-presidency stuff. uh, No vice president has been uh, put front and center the way uh, that she is being put front and center. Maybe it'll end after, you know, after a couple of days or once, you know, Biden sort of realizes that maybe this is kind of belittling to him, but I don't know.
3: Anyway, I apologize. Please, Noah. Yes. So anyway, um, Susan Rice is on stage. She's got this graphic behind her, all these little bullet points about what they want to do. Uh, and one of them is to uh, was to combat xenophobia against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Now, according to the Los Angeles Times, this administration defines um, discrimination and xenophobia against Asians and, um, and Pacific Islanders as the racism that resulted from Donald Trump calling COVID the China virus. And hate crimes are up against Asian Americans, and that's uh, abhorrent, it's bigotry, it's prejudice, but it's on the individual level. The systemic discrimination against Asian Americans, the systemic discrimination that they so concern themselves with, is coming from the left, and it is being facilitated and abetted by this administration. I'll give you one example, and then Abe, you can talk about this, because he wrote masterfully about this for the magazine in 2019. Um, This administration is expected to withdraw from a lawsuit that the Trump administration, and Trump DOJ joined against Harvard for the systemic discrimination against Asian Americans. So there's some systemic discrimination we kind of like, right? Because it facilitates not the uh, not the upward social leveling, the you know the giving a hand up to the to the just groups that maybe deserve it because of the, the experiences of their of their history. In practice, it is downward social leveling. It is delivering, meeting out punishments for those who deserve it purely because of the accidents of their birth as, as defined by some subjective force of a, a, a Rawlsian
2: sort of subjective
3: analysis of, of,
2: uh, you know, who
3: deserves this sort
2: of stuff and who doesn't. <clears throat> well, I'll just say far from, uh, the Trump administration, um, ha- having somehow, you know, enacted some sort of, a, a, a racist agenda against, um, Asian Americans. Um, the Trump justice department were champions of, of the Asian Americans who were being discriminated by, by at, at universities. I mean, they, 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 went after this, um, doggedly, you know, and, uh, rightfully so, because there's this whole raft of, um, of, uh, administrative processes that, that, uh, that like Ivy leagues, uh, use to, um, to, uh, bring down the count of, uh, uh evasions in the student body just as 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 was once done um with with Jews and there was another point there I was going to make and I and I've lost it I apologize. But
0: you know it's also really low. I'm sorry, it's really low. I, I granted it's hard to say that you know the Biden people uh don't have a right to misrepresent the Trump administration record because you know Trump m- misrepresented everything about his rivals so What are they supposed to be purer than he? But um, it is really low to say there was some sort of systematic discrimination against uh, Asian Americans because the Trump administration took a hard line on China in January of uh, 2020 once the once the virus started spreading out of Wuhan like that that is low. Like they went with this play at the beginning of February and you had liberal politicians like Bill de Blasio, like walking around saying, I, this is terrible. They're discriminating systematically against Asians. And, you know, this is racist, it's a racist attack and all of that. And of course, A, it's true. Uh, we did need to shut down travel from Wuhan and B, all that Crap about how it was conspiratorial nonsense that the virus might have escaped from the Wuhan animal lab. Um, This is clearly a very serious practical possibility, and the people who raised it, including Tom Cotton, were treated as though they were, you know, uh, the authors of the, you know, novels about Fu Manchu. You know, I mean, this is... So it's pretty goddamn low to go there... On,
1: on
2: this subject uh, no I remembered the point that had eluded me before um the other uh disgusting practice uh among kind of uh, leftist media activists um towards re- towards uh Asians uh, we saw in the past year was this um, impulse to um sort of re- stop Referring to them and considering them uh, a minority, they 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 were, they were getting lumped in uh, w- with whites, right? A- a- once again, as 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 happens to, to to Jews at certain points, where the Jews yeah. are considered hyper white uh, in, in certain contexts, right? Um, Asians uh, during the sort of the, the, the height of the um, I don't know the the racialized uh, unrest over the summer. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk on the, on the, on the on left Twitter about how we're not talking about, uh, Asian Americans. They're, they're not really people of of color. Well,
1: they're white adjacent, yeah, right? Yes, because they're exactly. successful yeah. educationally yep. and economically yep. in a way That's that doesn't fit right, right. our narrative. you
3: to take Dakota ring for society, your theory of everything is that success is available only to white people. People who achieve success are white. Right. right. It's insane, of course, but it's got a lot of purchase. It's got
0: a lot of purchase, and it is, of course, itself, uh, you know, in, in, insanely and repellently racist. I mean, that's the most interesting thing about this. Uh, you know, racialism is that it—the presumption here is that everybody who isn't white uh, needs special assistance in order simply to get to a point at which they can compete on a on a level playing field because they don't have the uh, intellectual or social wherewithal to do it. On their own. And uh, if that is your base presumption, uh, you know, that a person with black skin uh, begins uh, at a, a disadvantage that isn't just the disadvantage of, you know, uh, uh, the expectations or something like that of, of the society, but seems to have a disadvantage when it comes to just like being able to do well in school. Um. That's where you are. You are no different, in my view, from people who you know think that black people are intellectually inferior. Anyway, uh, let me just pause and talk to you guys about ExpressVPN. You've heard me talk about it, the simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. You know you you didn't have a choice really in your in your internet service provider, and you know that they act like monopolies. You know they sell your goods, uh, your data, your connections, the stuff you're talking about to uh, other big tech companies and advertisers. So that's why to prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN, VPN. Uh, You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's the number one rated VPN service by CNET and Wired. Um, If you just think about how much of your life is on the Internet, just trust me, everything that you do can be seen and sold and measured and reckoned and... And God knows what else. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash commentary. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash commentary to get three extra ones free. Go to expressvpn.com slash commentary right now to learn more. I gu- okay, so I guess we have to talk about what happened yesterday uh, as the Senate convened to uh, swear the senators in to be jurors in the uh, trial of um, of Donald John Trump, uh, Rand Paul rose to say that the proceeding was unconstitutional because he is no longer in office and that this was a partisan uh, effort and he spoke in these declamatory terms that rather than simply saying, we don't have standing, we don't have... Um, we don't have the right to do this. Uh Trump is no longer president and so the remedy is not there. Um, he went uh, ideological, he went partisan. He said, This is just Democrats trying to punish Trump and it's terrible. And uh forty five uh Republican senators in all uh voted uh to support this uh proposition. Uh so I'm 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 fascinated by the by the fact that uh, he could have gone with a simple procedural argument, which is what Tom Cotton said. It's what Mike Lee said, like, okay, we don't have standing. He's not president anymore. So we don't have a remedy. And it's not true that what was the case for the secretary of war in the Johnson administration, the Andrew Johnson administration, is true for an ex-president. Constitution says the president shall be tried uh, and the, the president means the president at the time and Trump is no longer president. So you can even if your purpose is to basically spare Trump and for partisan reasons, you could have hid behind a simple procedural argument. But uh, that was not enough for Ron Paul uh, for Rand Paul. And why? Because he is sucking up and playing to the Republican base that is increasingly moving toward the idea that what happened to Trump was not fair and give me, and give the guy a break, right? As, as Nikki Haley said. Um, so as I said yesterday, I think there's a, it's an arguable proposition uh, either way. And that the, and that the most rational thing to do under these circumstances would be to argue, if you didn't want a trial, that the Senate doesn't have a remedy and therefore the trial is, is, is is foolishness, but um, Rand Paul gave the game away uh, in his speech, I think. Uh, and though I believe that he should be impeached from room for office, Paul did this thing that I think a lot of Republicans are doing, which I find uh, factitious and sort of intellectually indefensible, which is they're saying uh, he shouldn't be impeached. He's not president anymore. He shouldn't be impeached. He's already been impeached, and when he was impeached, he was president of the United States. When the House impeaches, Trump has been impeached. The argument that's being made now is that like it's almost like would you try somebody for, you know, for murder if the if the person who was accused died? You wouldn't, right? He's dead, so you can't try him for a crime. He's dead, so the president is no longer president. So you can't try him for a you but, cannot try but, that. But, that's, okay,
1: but the better analogy would be trying someone in absentia, which you can do, right? I mean, it's not that he's dead. Well, that's so the argument
0: was, for it. I'm saying the right. argument against it is he's been impeached. Uh, if you think, but but because impeachment has bad odor with Republicans. Paul is saying he shouldn't be impeached. That's
1: like saying, you know, th- it shouldn't have rained yesterday. Right. He right. was he impeached. He's a saying he shouldn't manner. be tried. Well, they don't want to right. talk about the trial because then they look like the obstruct, the partisan obstructionists they're being here, right? They don't want to be exposed by what comes out in a trial. They don't want to be exposed by the vote they'll have to cast in a trial. And, right. But they don't want to say that. That looks bad. It looks better to rail against impeach. Oh, he's already impeached one, so we impeach him again. We should impeach him again. And most people don't make the distinction, unfortunately. Right. Um, but that's—I I, think—it's just pure strateg, political strategizing on their part, and, and it's not very persuasive. It's,
0: <laughs> well, the purpose is not is not, right. purpose is not larger persuasion. It is to turn this event, the the January sixth event which of course then followed other things that are not uh, involved in the impeachment or in, in the article of impeachment, like the call to Brad Raffensperger where the president said, where Trump said, I want 11,812 votes, find them for me, uh, which itself was probably an impeachable offense. It's not even there in the, in the articles, which are simply relating to the insurrection. Um. But they want to say impeachment is just what Democrats do, or, you know, did to him. And it's mean and it's awful because polling is showing, again, that while there was a move away from Trump among Republican-based voters, they're kind of coming back. Morning Consul today has a poll that says 50% of Republicans want Trump to play the major role or a major role in the party going forward and all that. So they are doing what, as I said yesterday, what politicians, you know, you got to take them at their word. They, this is their business. Uh, They're the ones who have to play in this field. If they've decided that this is the better and more prudent call to make, take them at their word. They understand, they understand their customers.
3: Yeah, but it's the same thing that's happening to Democrats with the teachers unions. They have a gun to their head. They're hostage. They're not doing what's right for the country or their constituencies. They're doing what they think is most prudent and expedient in the moment to preserve whatever power they have uh, at the moment, even at the expense of social comedy and functioning institutions. I mean, I can't think of a more craven example of cowardice, abject cowardice, than to for Congress to regard this assault on that institution as just an act of God. It just kind of happened, and there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, the Congress has been ceding its authority to the executive for god knows how long but now congress is ceding its authority to just a man just a guy who happens to have a cult of personality around him i mean there's nothing more unhealthy i can think of in a functioning republic than what we're witnessing well
0: look you know i i uh, as we're talking i get an email uh, across from uh one of these you know very conservative list serves that i'm on and uh, somebody i think uh it might've been uh, Daniel Greenberg at uh, I, I, now I can't find it, but, but basically it was, the article said impeach. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Daniel Greenfield. uh, Impeach Obama for inciting black lives matter riots. So it's Obama on 60 minutes uh, talking about how black lives matter, you know, was good or something like that. So if, if the standard according to this preposterous piece Uh, uh, is that, you know, Trump can be impeached, and he's not in office anymore, then Obama can be impeached, and he's not in office anymore. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is that you're just seeing how this is how the marketplace of ideas and partisan and ideological partisan terms works, which is you just throw crap at the wall to see what sticks. Obviously Obama was not president when he said Black Lives Matter was good nor did he say anything like you should go and 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 blow up that house and beat people up in the street but even if he had he hasn't been president since 20 you know since January 20, 2017 and Trump made the speech that led to the incitement that led to the riot while he was president you know 5 5 feet away from the white house uh, and and the two are not comparable, but w- this is now, we're seeing the development of the talking points. And the talking points are, how come, for example, I heard saw people saying, how come they weren't using this face recognition technology during the riots in June and July of 2020 to figure out who the Black Lives Matter people who were committing crimes were and go after them the way they went after the rioters at the Capitol? First of all, we don't know that they, whether they did or didn't do that. And second of all, what the hell does that matter? We're talking here about the storming of the capital of the United States. And it is this game of just muddying, 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 just throwing mud up to make it so that everybody who might have an honest reaction to this stuff is just submerged in mud that well,
1: it, is it, yeah go ahead it also I mean there were a lot of there was a lot of criminal behavior and criminal activity that was damaging to property and people throughout the summer because of the riots, and that is it's absolutely reasonable, and many of us at the time raised that issue like why aren't people being prosecuted for these crimes? They weren't they were cycled through the justice system and sent right back out to you know riot another day that's a to it's fine to raise that issue, but it's not a, it's not a justification for the for the harshness of the crackdown that the federal uh, law enforcement made about those folks especially given that we were in such a, a, a weird interesting transitional moment of our politics that required a peaceful transition of power so i think I, it, that makes me angry because actually there are legitimate things to raise legitimate questions to raise about the law enforcement response to the to the rioting and protesting of the of the uh, past many months and this actually waters down those claims by trying to equate those two.
0: Right. Guys, I've been telling you about this this week. You know, we love the Quip toothbrush. I still use it. I attach it to my uh, my mirror and pull it out and use it. And um, I'm excited to try the gum. They got this new gum, Quip, because um, it turns out that chewing gum for 20 minutes after uh, dinner, if it's the right if it's the right gum with the right ingredients and doesn't have a lot of sugar in it and all that, that this is actually something that um, improves your oral care and your oral health. Uh, people chew gum to relieve stress or curb appetites and freshen breath, but it also has this great effect on oral health. And so Quip has made it, it may has made it with this like cool dispenser where it sort of clicks out. Individual gum pellets, um, like those uh you know candies that we had when we were kids with the heads of fun little animals on them. Uh their Slim Travel Ready Dispenser, which is available in five colors, metal or plastic. It packs and protects up to 10, 10 gum pieces at a time, fits into just about any purse. Uh the quip gum is sugar-free and has tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories and it has a long-lasting mint flavor, crunchy tri-layer design and stamped with the classic Quip tongue. Add a gum refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round because Quip's customizable subscription lets you chew and share at your own pace. It's not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but this is great support for your oral health, particularly if you pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush for adults or kids. And in addition to those gum packs, Quip also delivers the fresh brush head floss and toothpaste refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free. So you can save money and skip the misery of in-store shopping. And if you go to getquip.com slash commentary right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash commentary spelled G E T Q U I P dot com slash commentary. Quip the good habits company. Um, so basically, uh, Noah was, uh, I think, oddly optimistic yesterday that the that the trial um, in the Senate might be so damning uh, that uh, that the um, that our stated support of the removal of Trump or the conviction of Trump in the trial uh, was still possible, and I guess the vote yesterday really suggests that that will not happen, that there are five votes to convict. Those are the same five votes that said that the trial should go forward and was not unconstitutional. Romney, Collins, I, Toomey, uh, and I can't remember who the other two are, Murkowski and uh, and one other, and oddly enough, not Rob Portman, who announced that he was not running for, for re-election, but did vote to say that the upcoming trial was unconstitutional. So... No, where where
3: stand you now? Well, I, I gather you're more uh, assured that these votes constitute a statement of principle that won't be violated during the the trial, and even people like Mitch McConnell who voted with Rand Paul are going to abstain from from moving forward, and that's entirely possible. I don't know. I, I'm done in the in the prediction game. Uh, <laughs> over the last month, uh, we've all suffered a significant failure of imagination. Uh, so I'm done imagining. Um, There's plenty of opportunity for events to intervene. Uh, I'll I'll concede that you're probably right. I don't suppose that many votes will move, no matter how damning the evidence presented at trial is. It could nevertheless compel some rather stunned, mortified silence from Republicans, and I wouldn't
2: be surprised to see it. Okay, Abe, Christine? I mean, uh, I I never had, you know, that particularly high... Hopes, or or I never, I never thought that there was going to be anything resembling a vote uh, to convict. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of still there.
1: I don't know anyone. Anyone who believes uh, you know, never give your heart to a politician. You'll be, you'll, you'll have it broken every time. But the idea that there, there, there's a moment now for even if you don't care about the partisanship about the institution. I'm actually disappointed that there aren't more senators who care about the institution of the legislative branch of our federal government enough to have a little bit more spine, but uh, you know, they they're not consistent in the application of their principles, which means maybe the, maybe with the evidence that comes out during the trial, they'll have to change their tune.
0: I um, there's one part of me says, this is the worst possible outcome of all possible outcomes. That um, I've said this before, that the the, the, the blog post I wrote uh, an hour after the insurrection began, where I said that Trump needed to be impeached and convicted tomorrow, meaning the 7th of January, was right in the sense that if you were going to do it, it needed to be done immediately with the horror fresh. Um, because time would, of course, not heal, would, 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 cauterize some of the horror and um, what we're going to have now is the Republican party in essence in the Senate and a a significant number of people assenting to the notion that this did not rise to the level of an impeachable or convictable offense. Um, And that we have therefore opened the door to the notion that uh, other, other actions that take place in the future that might involve violence and threats to uh, officials and that sort of thing um, will be met uh, depending on who they are and w- what the partisan frame is with the idea that, well, look, we didn't take the ultimate sanction when the Capitol building was stormed and people were looking to kill Mike Pence in the Capitol building or take down Nancy Pelosi and were trashing the building. So, how are we going to convict for the why? And
3: so look, I don't I don't think it's this is again your analysis is probably correct. Nevertheless, I don't think it's hard to imagine several senators, perhaps not the seventeen they need for conviction, but several senators voting as they did and then voting to convict, just like people vote for against cloture to start a debate and then vote for the bill. Nevertheless, There is information that is coming out. The Washington Post had a piece yesterday that is extremely disturbing about the delayed response by the National Guard and why it was delayed because it required, uh, based on the response that uh, the critical response that they received after the, the rioting over the summer, that there had been some mechanisms in place to prevent uh, the uh, the uh, Pentagon from going willy-nilly and in, in deploying forces in, in Washington without higher authority, and that higher authority never materialized during that event. It was deprived, and we don't know why or who made that order or just didn't do anything. The lethargy there remains a, a significant concern to me, concern to everybody, and we will figure out what happened there during this trial. Okay, well,
0: as we used to say in the sentence that was banned from Time Magazine at the end of all articles, after it was used too often, only time will tell. It's always the greatest ending for, you know, as to the future and what the effects will be, only time will tell. So I think we have some suggestion, but you're right. I mean, you never know whether there will be some revelation that is just so jaw-dropping. And, you know, Trump is an incautious person, and may have said and done things that morning that are going to come out that are not good, but you, someone will have to, if that ever happened, someone A would have to rat on him and B, you know, it would really have to be bad. You know, Rand Paul, a libertarian who supposedly hates the, you know, executive branch's overreach, you know, got down on his knees yet again because, you know, unless, unless, uh, unless the person, um. anyway, uh, you know, oh, he's so principled. Remember the Rand Paul moment? Time Magazine cover? Rand Paul is the future of the Republican Party because he, like, is, uh, you know, he's against uh, the war in Iraq? Well, apparently the Rand Paul moment says that it's just fine for there to be insurrections at the Capitol, which is actually what I would sort of suspect from from the son of Ron Paul. But anyway, uh, with that said, uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. For Abe, Christine, know I'm John Putthoritz. Keep the candle burning.